0: At the same time, the victim can also turn into the persecutor. Oh, you don't ever help me. You don't do anything for me because the persecutor is the bully, right? So there's all this switching around on the triangle, and that is not a healthy way to relate to anybody.
1: And now. (laughs) I'm the captain now. (laughs) Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody's hitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris.
2: And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 108 of the Chris and Christine Show.
1: Yes, 108 episode is like my favorite number. (laughs) Oh,
2: you're such a brat. That's not true. Okay, so I think that I'm going to come up with a new phrase. And I think we should put it in our intro.
1: Oh, yeah? What do you think it's going to be, baby?
2: Well, I think because we are Chris and Christine, and we talk about the Chris and Christine Show Podcast. I think I want to call it the Chris and Christine Show cool cast because
0: we're ooh
1: cool
2: cats. the cool because it's kind of like Cool Cats. Like we're the Cool Cats.
1: Wait, is it Cool Cats or Cool Cast?
2: Cool Cast, but it kind of sounds like Cool Cats. Like hey, I've never
1: heard of Cool Cats in my life.
2: You've never heard of like ooh they're the Cool Cats.
1: No, is that a thing?
2: Yes, it's like all the way going back to the jazz days where they'd be like, "He's one cool cat."
1: Yeah, of totally, of course. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah,
2: you're such a You're such a booger. Mm-hmm. How, how are you feeling, Chris? It sounds like you still got a little bit of a... Maybe like not a frog. Maybe it's a guppy in your throat. I, yeah, I
1: think it's more like a tadpole, really, <laughs> in my throat still. I don't know what's going on. Like, Did you
2: catch that I just said throat? I meant to say throat, but I said it sounds like you have a guppy in your throat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for noticing that. Yeah, I I thought I was feeling great. I felt great yesterday, but today we're doing some podcasting. It is a Sunday evening because Christine was out doing some wedding venue stuff yesterday. That being Saturday. Yep. yeah Saturday and then busy Sunday. wedding day yeah Christine's been busy with the whole wedding stuff going on and I here been wrangling the kids and doing podcasting podcasting for Podtastic audio yeah and that fun stuff over the weekend that was great by the way but first off how are you How was your work week Ben your regular job honey well you do have a regular job that, I
2: have yeah you know? I have a regular job it was busy this week and you know I had to go back into the office for the first time since October because they had been painting the building and then we were on vacation and then um, holiday break because of Thanksgiving. So I worked in the office, not on Thursday, actually, I went to drive into work and I left on time. And I left our our neighborhood, which we live kind of in the country. Yeah, and well, they then- live in
1: this boonies. Really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so then I was like trying to drive towards the freeway, but it was like, backed up traffic pretty much all the way to our subdivision. And...
1: Wait, the th- traffic was backed up to our house here?
2: Pretty close. Yeah, I think like it was everybody like...
1: everybody was trying to leave to go to work? And well, everybody was trying out. to
2: get to the freeway. And I was like, oh, crud, what's going on? And so I waited and I waited. And then I put in my Starbucks mobile order. And it said that it would be ready in like 10 minutes. But then it took me forever to get there. Thankfully, they didn't make it until I got there. But... um
1: you then know, I had a, to get
2: on a, the yeah, free, problems, yeah. Then I had to get on the freeway, but I already had spent like 35 minutes just getting down our road and then um was projected to take an hour to get from our house Wait. to work, which it's normally like a 25 minute drive. So I was uh, doing the talk to text um to my boss as I got onto the freeway, just letting him know that it was going to take like another hour and at this point it was already late. And he just said um there's no need to come in. Just go ahead and turn around and work you know, from home. You
1: know, it's usually sometimes when the boss will say that, no need to come in. At times, it's a bad thing, you know, like don't bother coming in today no. or the next day or the day after that either.
2: Well, that <laughs> may be for other people. Yeah, that's but what not I'm saying. For, yeah. Like me, star employee. But <laughs>
1: yes, Christine's a goody goody at oh, work.
2: Oh, you're such a brat. So <laughs> on Friday, I went into work and, you know, there was no traffic at all. And so I definitely got there early. And I had a couple of meetings, and then I'd been waiting to get my computer fixed by our technology services because I haven't been able to... Your
1: computer for work?
2: Yeah. They wouldn't fix my personal computer. Oh,
1: okay. They can just check it. No. So,
2: uh, my work computer wasn't printing to any of the network printers within our organization. And so, when I'd been talking with the tech team, they thought that they needed to do like a a driver update or something like that. And so... I took my laptop in and, you know, normally I function on two screens here at home. And so when I save a bunch of stuff to my desktop, like it doesn't look bad because it's on two screens.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The screen, I'm talking about the screen on the laptop and the screen on the actual like desk, right?
2: Like my monitor. Yeah. So typically I'm using my laptop and then I have an an external monitor that I attach to. And well, like, so, Like I'm I, using right now. Yes. And so when I save stuff to my desktop, you know, it's across two big surfaces well, when you just like when you unplug from the monitor and you're just functioning on your laptop, everything gets cluttered onto one little screen. Oh, yeah. It's like cause you overlapping.
1: All, yeah. Because your <laughs> desktop is just filled with all, all kinds of icons and files.
2: Screenshots and all, and all kinds of stuff. And so <laughs> I went into the tech guy. His name is George. And I opened up my laptop and he's all, whoa, you got a lot going on there. <laughs> and I was like, yes. And so then he looked at my operating system and he's like, oh, gosh, like there's been two full updates, but since hit this, like since you have this operating system and he's like, it was probably because of, you know, COVID, you haven't been able to get your computer updated, which means that's why it's not working. And he's like, I'm gonna need to do these updates and then I'm gonna have to, you know, do some other stuff to it. And so I was like, um, okay. And this is like uh I think right around 10 30, 1045 in the morning. And I was like, so what are you wanting me to do? And he's like, well you're gonna have to leave your laptop here for about four hours. And I was like, four hours. What am I gonna do? Like my you, work. You use
1: your computer for everything. Everything your job revolves around that computer. Like, could you physically do your job without that thing? No. Like, not at all.
2: No, without a computer, and they didn't have any loaner Macs. Oh, and so, okay. Or even PCs, because I do most of my work between Zoom and. The Google Drive, you know, I have a lot oh, of. My so work. you could
1: just log in to. So if you were to actually borrow a separate computer, yeah. could you still do your regular job? I thought everything was yeah. saved on your computer. No,
2: no, no. I save. I learned a long time ago that I need to have backup storage, and so I save most of my huh, files back- to the cloud. Backup
1: storage. I got figured. Look into that backup storage. My goodness, <laughs> what's that about?
2: So like the iCloud <laughs> or Google Drive, and um, you know, then I have email and Zoom and stuff like that, and so. I don't really save a lot to my computer because I I don't know. I've just had instances, not with my Mac, but other computers where they crash and then you lose everything. And so anyway. on wood, yeah. Yeah. So I was talking with him and I was like, so what am I supposed to do? And he's like, um, do you have other projects you can work on for the next four hours? I was like, no, but, you know, I have my personal computer at home. So needless to say, my boss told me to go ahead and go and work from home. On my personal laptop, and so. Mm-hmm. Did you charge? Row- the,
1: did you charge them a uh, uh, rental fee for no. using your laptop?
2: No, but I was able to come home and. Uh, be comfy and it's just weird when i'm in the office because there's only like four or five people in there um, and it's a big office on fridays
1: like how many people could fit in that office like if it was fully staffed and fully functional no covid situation
2: so on my floor because i'm on the second floor of my building we have about 150 people that work there
1: no way yeah 150 people, huh?
2: Yeah, between uh, administrators and, you said there was and support five, staff,
1: five that they. Were I there.
2: might be just under exaggerating. So going from
1: 150 <laughs> to five.
2: I mean, it's a Friday, and so we we get to work in the office two days a week and remotely the other days. But between some people being on vacations and other people being out at school sites and things like that, there's not a lot. I mean, there's on there's two different sides of the top floor. And so on my side, there's one, two, three, four, five, six maybe tops on Fridays.
1: Oh, okay, fantastic. Yeah,
2: but so, needless to say, like for work, it was interesting because (laughs) I ended up getting to work from home all week again, and then I go to work. uh, Lucky you! I know. know? I feel very fortunate. You know what's
1: funny? I got to tell everybody that Christine, she showed me her Zoom outfit. It was so hilarious. She had this. (laughs) She called the Zoom outfit. Basically, it's like I called
2: it my COVID suit. Yes,
1: COVID. I, well, I call it the Zoom outfit because saw, you're on Zoom camera while you're using it. No,
2: but you have to get the right name. It's the COVID classic. It's the COVID classy suit. It's the I'm gonna market this, so get it right.
1: Okay, COVID classic suit. Well, basically, what it means <laughs> is that you got your makeup done all right, your hair all done right, <laughs> and then you got your you're wearing your cute blouse and like you're you're wearing some kind of like uh, suit jacket. It's like suit jacket, and you had um, a necklace of some sort on there, and all pretty and everything, but. From uh, waist down, what were you wearing? I had matching shorts. You had shorts on.
2: (laughs) I had, hey, I had a black suit jacket and I had um, black, like higher quality shorts on. So it was still classy. But my thinking is... Nobody judges a woman for wearing a skirt with a suit jacket. So, shorts are just, you know, a little bit more gender neutral. Why can't we bring short suits back?
1: Uh, well, hey, I, you guys bring whatever you want. The, the mini skirts <laughs> come back too, if I was concerned about Okay, yes.
2: don't, be a, don't be a chauvinist. <laughs> so, no, I was wearing that because I had to give a presentation and I wanted to look really nice, but there was no need to get like the full slacks on. And so, I, but I still wanted to dress nice. So, I put on classy shorts.
1: Yeah, you did look very nice. And Thank I think you. on Zoom, no one can really tell. That's a, a great thing about being on Zoom.
2: And even if they could tell, there's no problem with me wearing shorts. And like, you're from what? home,
1: too. Has anybody been on the Zoom calls with you that have been full on, like, robes and pajamas? like Like, totally phoning it in?
2: Oh, no. They would just go off camera. I think if oh, they really? were... Yeah, they just... I, I had some people that are like, oh, my camera's not working. And I'm like, you're totally just not ready for work today.
1: <laughs> That's a clue. That's like a red flag. Like yeah. Red flag, red flag. Like Susie, she's in her pajamas still. Yeah. You know, our hair is on curls. <laughs> Has anybody put on curls? Like with curls in their hair? Like on Zoom?
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, we're professionals. Come on now. It's not like... People give work from home a bad reputation. I think that your mentality and your thinking behind work from home is exactly why so many employers are resisting, like keeping people working from home, because they think, "Oh, if we let you work from home, you're going to start to become slackers." And the reality is, um, I get up and I get ready almost every morning for work. <clears throat> Especially recently, I wake up and I get ready and you know put on a suit jacket or a blazer or a sweater. And I make sure I look presentable because I'm meeting with professionals that show up and dress up and all that stuff.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I wonder if, um, you know, like like if I was on Zoom, like I don't do Zoom for work or anything like that, but. uh,
2: No, you just Zoom on the freeway instead. (laughs) That is true.
1: Yes, that is true. So, hey, speaking of work, for me, I had to go back to work last week and it was a full week of work after being on vacation and after being sick because I was sick the week of Thanksgiving.
2: Aren't you still sick? Um, Or is it just like allergies?
1: I don't even know. I was feeling fine today. I felt great today, and I felt great yesterday. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I get down here and we start doing the microphones and getting everything set up and start recording, my voice starts to start getting all kind of crackly. And maybe you have
2: microphone fright. It's like stage fright, but podcast edition.
1: I think I'm got stage fright on the microphone here. I don't know why. What's up with that?
2: Call it mic fright.
1: I think everyone's everybody's watching me right now. Everybody's listening. So, care.
2: how was work for you? Uh, it,
1: w- it was fine, um, actually. I had um, it was kind of busy. There's a couple of days that were really busy. I don't know what it is, but for some reason on Thursdays they seem to like really like slam us hard with a lot of work. And there's like seems like there's more cars on the road Thursday. Um, I don't know what's going on, but Thursday seems like traffic's heavier on Thursdays. You would think Fridays, right? I think oh everybody's leaving for Friday. Uh, Friday, that is true. People do want to get out of town and do things, but Friday. I, it seems like Thursdays have been worse than I've noticed, but maybe just me, but it was really busy, which is crazy because like, you know, you think with people like working at home and um, like you're doing, I figure that a lot of people are also working from home and, and it's getting closer to the holiday season. So I just assume that a lot of people are taking time off for vacation and mm-hmm. for holidays, but you might be a little too early for that. And I think about it, but um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really busy at work and, and I went through it and I finished it and I took the car to work every single day, which is great because, um, it gets better gas mileage than the truck does. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny cause the car, I can go about 400, uh, 200 miles on a half a tank of gas Oh wow, on the car. And that's, you know, it's a sports car. It's not really designed. So for-
2: like how much does that cost you to fill it back up right now? Like a half a tank in the car? Well,
1: considering it takes premium, Ooh, and it, well, it's a 19-gallon tank, so you're looking at about probably... Uh, 10 gallons? Uh, yeah, so whatever that is, to, at 4.50 a gallon, whatever. $45? Yeah, about that, yeah.
2: But to fill up half tank on the truck, which, and this is regular, <laughs> I mean, the other day I filled uh, it up and it was above a little bit above half and it cost me $70. Well,
1: it also is a 36-gallon tank. Right, but truck. you
2: also get less miles per gallon on the truck.
1: I know, I know. Hey, speaking of the truck, we did take a four wheel driving today for the first time <laughs> ever. We actually
2: okay, but not like legitimate four wheel driving. I put it in four wheel drive. You put it in four wheel drive, but it wasn't like we were, you know, doing like a jeep track or anything like that. So
1: later t- today, before we got to do podcasting, we had to run back to the wedding venue that Christine was at yesterday because she left some stuff there. So we took my truck, loaded the kids, loaded everybody up in my truck, and we took it out to this area where it was at. It was actually like a campground, kind of like in... It was like like a
2: glamping location. It's called Stallion Oaks Ranch, and it's in an area called Descanso.
1: So, it was actually off the beaten path, like off the road. So, you actually did have to go Mm off-road for a little bit. There wasn't any paved areas. It was just dirt. Yeah, it was all dirt. In one spot where it was dirt, you kind of like went down this little like path where I was like, you took your car down this thing because uh, it almost looked like something you needed a four-wheel drive to kind of get over that little ledge there. You know what I'm talking about.
2: You're being overly dramatic. It was not... Like, four-wheel drive was not needed. And even if it was, you know, my little Ruby Ride 2.0, she handled <laughs> it like a pro. I mean, she may be a bit dusty, but girls got power.
1: Yeah, well, definitely, you know. But we did put it in four-wheel drive and we did kind of creep it out of there. And it was kind of fun to put it in four-wheel drive. I've had this truck for... uh what, two years now or a year and a half now?
2: No, ba- barely like a year and a half.
1: Okay, so I have this truck a year and a half now. And this is the first time ever I've actually clipped on the four-wheel drive mode.
2: Yeah. Now, I thought when you went four-wheel drive, like you would just like, it's kind of like putting it into drive where you just like like shift into a different gear. Uh, gear but this one, it was like you had to turn a knob and then it made you put it in neutral and then it had to adjust and then it told you to move forward and then it clicked in. And it, then it felt kind of weird. It felt almost like it was tugging a little bit more. I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like the car had to work, the truck had to work harder.
1: Well, what happens is we had a four-wheel drive low. It basically is designed for like, crawling and like creeping through stuff the low i guess the high is more for like if you want to do some serious like you're going through baja like that kind of stuff like faster what's, what do you mean baja like the Baja 1000 races where they're racing oh, the baja truck i don't know what
2: that is but okay
1: okay well they're racing like the trophy trucks, the ones that like in the dirt and they're going real fast over like the dunes and over all the what's stuff what's a trophy truck okay a trophy truck is like an off road truck that they race, like do the races with. Like the, think of a racing truck, not a lowered racing truck, but a, okay. li, a lifted racing truck. Like a Ford Raptor, it's kind of like a street version of a trophy truck.
2: Okay. So it's not like a like, Monster Jam truck.
1: No, those okay. are like for crawling and, and going over cars and things. Okay. Like. These are the ones that are like based on, they're based on like regular trucks okay. like mine, but they're like gutted and they, they're like, Uh, They're lifted, of course, but they have these crazy suspension on those things. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Those things... They're flying at like a hundred miles an hour across like whoops and dirt and trails. Oh and st- my
2: word. That would be so painful for my back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they have like a navigator with them and and they're driving and they're flying. They got the helmets and the and they got the headphones oh, okay. on, they're talking and all that stuff. Can and you
2: like show me that sometime on a video or something? Oh, that sounds you, really fun.
1: Are you are you kidding me? Of course I would. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. Yeah. But the, the trophy trucks can be very, very expensive and and they're like they run the Baja One Thousand runs. Uh, it runs down the peninsula of Baja. Where we were at for La Paz. It runs down all that stuff into the bottom. I guess back again. I forget the trail, but that's where it is. There's a Baja Five Hundred and a Baja One Thousand, and the trophy trucks. And they have dune buggies that do it. They have. I think they have motorcycles too, maybe. Wow. Or quads maybe. And it's a too. thousand
2: kilometers or miles.
1: Um, I think it's miles, but don't quote me on that. I know okay. they do kilometers down there, but I'm pretty sure it's miles. And most people who who enter the race don't Mm -hmm. finish. Like it's only like
2: like like they
1: die. No, like they they break down or whatever. Oh wow, you know. So they say like, what is it like? Top five percent or ten percent of people who enter actually finish.
2: That's crazy. That yeah. You know that would be like, I don't know. It sounds like some like Survivor or what is it like? Um, Not Big Brother. What's that show where they used to have to like run to the different cities and get like the different oh, clues. What was uh, it called?
1: Amazing race.
2: Oh, the amazing race. It sounds like the amazing race, but like souped up truck edition.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. But they're, they're doing it at night and they're doing it through, um, I mean, are going through Mexico and, and, mm-hmm. and it's funny. Some of the, uh, the, people watching the race will be next to the side of the line. These trucks are jumping, like doing these jumps over these big like hills and stuff. And like, watch out, kid, you're like right next to the side of the trail. <laughs> you're gonna get run over. <laughs> you know, like it's almost kinda like the rally racing. You ever seen the rally race cars? I don't think so. Okay, the rally racing is like they um they're like the rally the closest thing of a rally race car you might think of would be like a like the Ford with a small Ford car, um Like a Focus? Yeah, like the Focus has a rally car they were using, and so does like Mitsubishi had their Lancer and Say that again. Mitsubishi.
2: <laughs> Mitsubishi. That's what I said, Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. <laughs>
1: they had their Lancer Evo edition. And of course of course a Subaru WRX. You've heard of that car, I'm sure you've seen those.
2: You are so nerding out right now. <laughs> I can honestly say I did not know that there were this many types of races. It's super fascinating. Like I knew about the um what's it called? Like the Nascado.
1: NASCAR. Oh,
2: NASCAR. Okay, I've been to so, NASCAR a few times. So NASCAR. So. And then is it, what's that one that's in France? Is it like the Michelin or? Uh, the, Le Mans. Oh, that's what it is.
1: <laughs> you know what? Of, speak, speak of Le Mans, they actually have a that makes race. Me,
2: it sounds like Le Mans class. It, I should have remembered that, that. That's
1: how they started it, by the way. It was a uh, woman had to breathe real heavily and then they just raced. That's where way it started. <laughs> uh, originally. Yeah. No, just kidding, by the way. No, the um, they actually have a race called the, the, the not the Le the Le Mans the lemons now the lemons is it
2: only for men
1: no the lemons is like lemon cars that are lemons like race
2: <laughs> how long they can go, <laughs>
1: and they like race till they fall apart or oh, something like this it's like i heard about it i don't know if they still do it but it's like the car the entry fee the car has to be worth more than no more than a thousand dollars
0: yeah or something
1: like that yeah and uh but enough about that fun stuff yeah so.
2: when you talk about cars it makes me think of like relationships when you're talking about like the different types of Cars and what they go through and all of the different bumps in the road and to see who's going to endure to the end. It just makes me think about that and, like, everything we've been through for the last year. I don't know why it made me think of that, but it it did.
1: It does because some people treat their cars like they treat their women, you know? They will just like get a new addition, our new model. Like, I'm, I'm bored with this one. I'm going to go on to the next.
2: Uh, except for you. You treat your cars very well. So what does that say about how you treat me? Do, I, you, do you treat me the same as your cars?
1: Absolutely, baby. <laughs> I hang on to you until the wheels fall off.
2: <laughs> or
1: or until there's a good deal somewhere else down the line like there was in my truck. So.
2: Oh, oh, ouch. That <laughs> hurt. That was rough. Oh, Don't just, trade I'm, me in. I'm just kidding me. Of
1: course I won't trade you. Maybe you're a classic.
2: Oh. <laughs> I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or a put down. Like I'm a classic versus like I'm like a collector car. Well,
1: baby, you are doctor. You a Dr. Christine is in the house. But
2: even without the title, honey, am I something to keep around?
1: You definitely are, baby. Okay. You are. You're like the Z car I have. You know, like people at work say, oh, you should sell the Z. And he had some people come over and say they want to buy the Z. I said, uh, uh, no, I can't I like the car. I'm, I'm to- <laughs> I-
2: so what he's saying is he's like. Nah, even if you want to take her off my hands, I'm kind of... She's kind of growing on me. I guess I'll keep her around. Exactly. Even if she costs me a little bit of money.
1: We'd like to see. (laughs) Definitely.
2: You're such a brat. You're feisty today. Oh, I know. Well, enough about us and our relationship. So what's coming up on the rest of this episode today? Oh,
1: Today here on the Chris and Christine show, we have had a fantastic guest that came through. Because Christine over here, by the way, she's doctor and I'm Dr. Love. But later we're going to (laughs) have a actual relationship coach that tells all about relationships at her life journey with relationships and we're gonna have her on the show right after this. Hey thank you so much for being a loyal listener of the Chris and Christine show and as that you are a loyal listener we have a very fun opportunity for you to get involved with the show. Ooh, tell me more. If you like, get exclusive content you can't get anywhere else and to receive free merchandise shipped to you every single month.
2: Ooh, I want that.
1: Then head over to patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. That is patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show.
2: And welcome back everybody. Today we have another special VIP guest for you. This one is a very special treat and we think it's going to provide lots of value to your life. Our guest is a behavioral relationships expert. She is an author and podcast host.
0: Welcome to the show, Tracy Crossley. Thank you. Thank you. I've never gotten applause before, so that was awesome.
1: Well, there you go. They're all here just for you.
0: <laughs> We're
2: excited to have you on the show today, Tracy. What area of the world are you joining us from today?
0: I'm joining you from Los Angeles, California.
1: How was the drive down here, by the way? Is a lot of traffic? <laughs>
0: Yeah, we you appreciate have to- <laughs> you being in studio. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you have to leave at what, like three in the morning to get there by six if yeah. you're lucky, what right? Par-
1: what part of Los Angeles do you live in? Because Los Angeles is just a big, like broad area.
0: I live in the northeast part. I live near Pasadena. Oh, okay. that's a nice area.
1: Perfect. Is that by the- um- Rose Bowl? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, or I is- live about five miles from there. And isn't there
2: like a NASA jet propulsion laboratory
0: up in like pa- Pasadena area? It's actually in La Cañada which is right next door to Pasadena and I live right next door to La Cañada. So it's all within I'd say like a 5 mile 7 mile radius. I liked how you
2: said that La Cañada cuz anytime I see the sign I call it La Canada. La <laughs> i'm mexican come on now i should have more of an accent so thank you for correcting me la canada i'm gonna say it from that from now on well we appreciate you being here with us and we're super excited to learn about you and your professional background but like we'd like to know a little bit more about you as a person so
1: uh have you lived in los angeles your whole life
0: I actually moved to Los Angeles when I was two years old. So I, I went with my parents. Obviously, I didn't drive here. But so that
1: two-year-old you just like packed it up and left. Off.
0: <laughs> She's like deuces, people. I'm here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I lived uh, in, I guess you'd call it the border of Orange County. And L.A. County, when I was growing up, I lived in a city called Cerritos, and nobody really knew where that was until they had a car, like this whole row of car lots. And so people then would go, oh, you're from the car lot place. So that's where I grew up. And um, and then I've just been up here ever since then. Like i about 18, 19 years old. I moved up to this area.
2: Okay. So do you consider yourself a native to L.A. or a more of
0: an O.C. kind of girl? <laughs> You know, that's a funny question. I've never been asked that before. Um, you know, I went to the OC Beaches. I mean, I was always at Huntington or Newport or Bolsa Chica. I guess Bolsa Chica is on the border. But, um, you know, it just depended. But I would say it was pretty evenly split. All right.
2: Because I always watch those reality shows. Well, not always, you know, like Real Housewives of Orange County. And then oh, yeah, the I watched – important stuff, yeah. But then I watch Selling Sunset. And it's like so – like. stereotypical L.A. and Orange County, but I think people have this mentality of what it's like to live in L.A. or Orange County, but you sound like a pretty normal down-to-earth person.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Most people think I'm from New York, so I don't know.
1: Why would they say that? Do you have a little bit of an accent?
0: No. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) No, it just made me laugh, though, because people have actually said to me that I have an accent, like I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm like, people, I've been here since I was two. So I <laughs> don't know that? how that worked. I, I don't know. The minute I tell them I was born in Wisconsin, oh, you know what? You kind of have a Midwestern accent going on there. Uh, okay. Well, you know, maybe it just
2: like carried with you from birth, you know? Yeah. I, I'm assuming <laughs> so, but I,
0: I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just funny. Um, But people think I'm from New York because I happen to be pretty direct and down to earth. Mm-hmm. And I did work in the entertainment industry uh, for a little Wait, while.
1: Wait, and- what? Doing what now? My, my ears. I woke up. <laughs>
0: um, I did a couple of different things. I had my own business at one point. It was a marketing graphic design business, and I had a lot of B movie companies as clients. And um, and so those are not where the A celebrities are. That's where the B celebrities go to die, basically. Like, oh, retirement. Yeah, kind of. They don't know they're in retirement though. They still think they're an A list celebrity. So.
2: Okay. Mhm. Now yeah. I now I have a question for you. Sure. So, like I'm going to like show my cards here. I'm slightly more than obsessed with Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. No. And I watch those <laughs> movies all the time, but last night as I was watching them, I saw some like former um, more prominent celebrities showing up more and more on the Hallmark Channel movies and I was wondering if you were to give like an A B C level or F to the Hallmark Channel movies. Where does it tier in terms of like movie levels? Oh
0: wow, I know that you like them a lot. So that's okay. <laughs> like, no, no, no judgment. <laughs> okay, so I would have to say that they go to B or C. I mean, okay, you know, yeah. really, yeah, they do, yeah. I, and I and I've watched them, so yeah. I know.
2: Well, yeah, yeah I'm like, not talking quality, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm looking at some of these celebrities and a. I was like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Like, I didn't think you'd be on a Hallmark Channel movie. It's, but called,
1: it's called getting a paycheck.
0: <laughs> I guess so. You but. know, yeah, it is. And well, it's funny, too, because I when I had my company, I there's somebody and I'm not going to name the name because this is a person who basically had been in something as a child star. Yeah. And then it kind of like their career decreased and we were working with her and her personal photographer who uh-huh. used to edit the um this is back in the old days like when they the photographer's like okay i've got to edit out the hair on her arms kind mm-hmm. of a thing mm-hmm. so that was his like big thing right and then she became big again Okay. And so so it could have been a lull for her. I don't know where she's at now cuz I don't pay attention, but right. um yeah. So so it can change. It so it's not permanent for everybody.
2: Yeah, you know, it's just interesting then you're talking about B-level uh movies cuz I was thinking about that last night as I saw like three of these people that used to be on pretty prominent on TV and on, you know, a couple of movies and I was like and the all three in the same movie. Wow, this must be a big budget Hallmark movie. And then <laughs> big, I thought, budget, huh? and then I thought, wait, that's kind of <laughs> like a, like an oxymoron, big budget Hallmark movies. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting that you used to work in the entertainment industry. Now you aren't in the entertainment industry anymore. What I see is you're a behavioral relationship expert. So wh- how did you make that transition?
0: Oh well, it was kind of foisted upon me in a sense. I had been out of that because I also worked in the animation industry as well, and that came after my foray in uh, working with B-movie studios. But I had um, been working in corporate, and I was working in marketing, and I got laid off, and that was around the big fall in 2008, you know, the economy. Oh, right, yeah. And so I had been reading this book. And in the book, I, I tend to – I don't know how you guys read books, but when I read books, if there's references to other books or other things, I'm always copying down you know, notes. And right. then I'm going, okay, yeah, I want to check that book out, right? Right. Um, and so I did, and I ended up looking at this book called Calling in the One because my love life was a disaster at this point. Oh, It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But I wasn't looking to become a coach. Long story short, I ended up meeting the author of the book and working with her and her business partner at the time where I was doing some marketing outreach and sales. And then they said, hey, do you want to be a coach? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be a coach. And they're like, no, really? Do you want to be a coach? And I'm thinking in my head, how am I going to make money as a coach? How, what? And so- Long story short, they offered me this training, and I ended up taking it, and I became a love coach. And Ooh. That was
1: really love yeah. coach. I love doctor. Yeah. Oh.
0: Love coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was funny, ha, 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 funny, because I didn't at the time have any, uh, what do I call that, modicum, 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 mm-hmm. of what love really was when it came to an intimate relationship. I'd had intimate relationships. I'd been married I'd had, you know, relationships with other people, but I really didn't even understand what love was. That's why it was kind of funny. Mm
2: -hmm. So you launched into this business and did you find success right away or did you like have to struggle through and find your footing?
0: Well, I had to struggle through and I struggled through mostly with myself because I think for a long time I wasn't taking it seriously. I kept thinking something else would come along. Why am I doing this? Um I ended up working in a new age store and I'm also psychic. I, you know, don't really put that out there too often, but they had hired me to do some psychic readings. And then they found out I was a coach. And then I started coaching people. And this was all in person. And I just ended up growing a business. I think within a few months, I had about 10 clients weekly. I still wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I still wasn't making enough to live on. But Mm -hmm. that was sort of the progression. And I just kept doing it. And even when I had other jobs to support the business because it took a long time for the business to actually be something I could do on my own. Um, You know, it always seemed like it never went away. Like it was always there. Like even times where I'm thinking, okay, I'm just not going to be a coach anymore. I will tell you people would just keep showing up. And wow. I thought, okay, yeah, yeah. Huh, interesting.
2: So at what point along your journey did you, or I maybe I'm making an assumption, at what point did your coaching of others around love turn towards yourself to help you find the one?
0: You know, I really had made that such a focus. I mean, it's kind of not a sad statement, but for a long time, I felt like it was a sad statement because that was just the one area of my life where I struggled. And I put so much focus on that. I didn't really internalize it and put it together, I would say, until a couple of years after I started coaching. And I then I started realizing, okay, Tracy, you're really the one who has the issue. It's not the people that you date. <laughs> and, you know, because it's easier to blame other people, right? So I stopped doing that and I really started taking responsibility for where I was. And I learned a lot about myself and I started opening up and then... At one point, I decided, okay, I really want to have a committed relationship because I came out of my first marriage like, oh, I don't want to get married again. I don't even want to be in a relationship. Just the whole idea gave me the heebie jeebies. And, um, you know, I I had a lot of, uh, I would say, baggage around that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I understand that. So, Tracy, I'm assuming your first marriage ended. It wasn't a, when you guys separated, was it kind of mutual or something bad really happened?
0: Uh, It was not mutual. It was really my decision. And yeah, and that was hard because I at the time really didn't understand, is this okay for me to get divorced? I had to go buy a book on um, women giving themselves permission to get divorced. I forgot the name of it, but literally Mm. I felt like, well, I'm not being beaten. I'm not, you know, none of these horrible things are happening. Um, My ex-husband was an alcoholic, but that's still, in my mind at the time, that was part of the reason. But there was so many things I had going on, like thinking some fantasy of some person out there was going to save me from me. You know, like, oh, yeah. oh you know, I'm going to connect with somebody like in a way that. Tale, like
1: like fairy tale, like Prince Charming was coming around the corner.
0: Yes, yes. Like I was not married to Prince Charming. I mean, there was, we didn't really have a lot in common either like my kids will look back and they'll go yeah we don't we don't get you and dad we, we don't understand how that worked <laughs> yeah really? uh-huh
2: yeah so being in that situation and now like stepping into a new relationship what did you find out about yourself that was different from just learning about love because it sounds like you had some kind of minefields to navigate around
0: well a lot of the reason that i work with people who have insecure attachment issues came from my own insight into my own issues really it did i um i did not know what my issue was you know like when i figured out okay i'm the issue i didn't really know there was a label for it it took a while longer for me to figure out there was a label to it because i'm what you call an anxious avoidant meaning i get anxious at getting close, and I get anxious at going far away, depending on the partner. And if somebody's more avoidant, as in, I think everybody's always heard the term, whoever cares less is the winner kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always wanted to be the one who cared less, because that meant I had control. That meant that I wouldn't feel something that I didn't want to feel. And so – my own discovery of like my ways and becoming really aware of the things I would do uh, led to me being able to make some big changes. And those changes were difficult. This wasn't—I mean, this is probably the hardest work I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm. But I really got to a point where I'm like, okay, you know what? I want to have a healthy, happy relationship. It's not going to happen just because I meet a great guy. It's—I'm gonna—I'm gonna tell the great guy to go away because I'm not open or available to it and it really took me being able to do that
1: so it's almost like playing hard to get in a way
0: in a way because when people play hard to get that's all from insecurity you know Ooh. all of it
1: we point yes. fingers at me christine
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right say that one more time tracy that just was like light bulbs go ahead yes uh when you play hard to get that comes from insecurity
1: oh. you're probably right i think about <laughs> as i think about it yes
0: yeah i mean right. i'm thinking about that that's
2: that's a heavy statement right there. Playing hard to get comes from insecurity. Tell us more.
0: Okay. So when you are not emotionally available or open, okay? And this isn't for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, 24 hours a day. Some people, because of things that have transpired in their life, maybe they've just gone through a breakup or, you know, something has been of a crisis nature, let's say, and then they're kind of closed up. But, for the majority of people, especially those people that fall into insecure attachment, we tend to play hard to get because, first of all, we feel like it gives us a sense of control. We feel like that mystery gives people something to react to. And and, and this is all in an unconscious way. It's not like someone sits around consciously thinking, I'm going to play hard to get. And I am going to uh, you know, keep people at bay because if somebody gets close to me, they might find out about the real me. That's one thing that people are afraid of having happen. When you have, let's say, more avoidant issues, you don't want people really getting that close. Even though you have a deep desire to be known, you have a fear of being known. Because from childhood forward, you've never really been known on an emotional level. So that's one area. Okay. The other... I'm sorry, if you want. No, that's no, no, I'm just saying, okay, okay, like that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, anyways, when it comes to the insecurity, it's the, you know, the reason for most people who play hard to get, it's because they're also waiting for the other person to show them something so that the other person makes it safe for them to come closer. So, you know, it can be a matter of, Um, Let's say that you're playing hard to get and then you have somebody who's chasing you, right? And so then you feel kind of like, okay, I'm feeling like I'm pretty cool right now because I'm getting this attention. Mm. And, right? Yeah, I hear
1: you. I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Chris is laughing because he likes
2: to tell everybody. I mean, it's like a a badge of honor for him that I made. That I made the first move. You did
1: make the first move,
2: and that I was very forthcoming with the fact that I wanted to spend time with him, and he was the more avoidant. Um, Not not avoiding me, but more plain hard to get. I'll keep it cool, baby. You know, and you know, trying to make (laughs) me put in the effort, and then for me, that's like, well, am I not worthy of being? chased and then I was like just get over it if you want to be with this person let them know that you want to spend time with them and the more that I showed up for Chris the more open he was and receptive to it and I think that that kind of lands back in maybe some of the baggage that we both carry into the relationship
0: absolutely but the thing is at least you were clear about what you wanted true and so, you know, and that takes something, I think, other than an insecurity. To me, it's like, if I know that I want something and I'm clear on it, I'm going to take a risk. And it sounds like, you know, in taking a risk, a lot of people are afraid to do that. You know, right. they, they do it once or twice. They've been hurt. Oh, I can't do that again. I'm just going to like that person and they're never going to know.
2: <laughs> That's like back to elementary school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I was here. Oh, I was listening to something. It was like this. I don't know, like a TikTok or something like that. And I think that you'll have something to say on this, but they were talking about how um, a little girl at school was reporting being mistreated by a boy. And the administrator said, oh, well, that's just because he likes you. And how as a young girl, she heard that, but you know, grew up with this belief that if a boy is mean to me, that means he likes me. And then kind of the emotional damage that that does to a young girl at a young age of thinking that, you know, men being aggressive or mean is a sign of affection and kind of how that.
1: Like, I only only hit you because I love you.
2: Well, I mean, if you Mm -hmm. think about it, like from a very young age, it starts to program young girls that, you know, to be mistreated equals affection. That's, I mean, if you
0: think about that. Is that true,
1: Tracy? Is that a thing?
0: I do believe it's a thing. Um, it's funny because I was with uh, my daughters this weekend and we went to the store and I was we were talking about how we normalize the idea of men whistling at you or mm-hmm. men grabbing you. And as women, it's just something that you've just put up with, right? Yeah. Ever since you were a teenager. I mean, I remember walking home from high school and like the construction site across the way, you know, guys would be whistling at you. And so and something you get used to. So, of course, you internalize it. Oh, a guy likes me if he's pulling my hair or a guy likes me if he's mean to me. Um,
2: right. Yeah. And how from a Definitely. young age when you have a healthy male approaching you in a positive way, how it's actually not received. We have a – Chris and I, uh, we co-parent my son who's almost 17 and he is going through the stage of learning how to ask girls out on dates and so um, he asked a young lady out and was – you know following up with her, giving details to confirm where they were going to meet the next day. And it was almost like he was too dependable where the girl kind of like flaked out and freaked out because, again, these young girls are getting so used to at a young age, guys being flaky, ghosting them, you know, spreading rumors and stuff.
1: It spins both ways, baby. Yeah,
2: it does. But it's really interesting how these kind of tainted relationship patterns start to be ingrained into our behavior at such a young age.
0: Yes, they do, and you know, again, if you have somebody at home, like a parent at home, who has been, let's say, very supportive of you, and not to the point where you're a helicopter parent, because you know, there's that fine line of um, giving your, you know, your kids a sense of confidence, and at the same time, taking it away by you know, overdoing it, overprotecting them. Mm-hmm. So, I definitely think that. Um, when it comes to your home environment that has a lot to do with it as well. If you don't have like let's say, you know, you're a girl and your dad is a workaholic, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're not giving getting a lot of feedback from dad, you might not have that male energy in your life where if guys are doing that you're like, "Oh, that's how I get attention because my dad doesn't pay attention to me cuz he's not around." Uh-huh. And you know, we're doing a lot of that at an unconscious level. We're not consciously aware that we are putting two and two together in that way.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah, that's super interesting. So, like, let's take this. Chris and I always use ourselves as an example. and yeah, we're part the of guinea it. pigs of life. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> we like to be very open with our listeners because um, we feel like our podcast is, you know, part sharing information and part therapy for the two of us. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, Chris and I both came into this relationship having gone through divorces and pretty traumatic divorces wouldn't you say chris
1: yeah I was, I was very very upset when i had my divorce um yeah i don't want to think about it right now but yeah. it, was, it was very bad it, it, and i was um, actually took to my work i was so devastated right and uh, christine you know she had a very similar situation with her divorce
2: yeah we were blindsided by like traumatic situations and then kind of left grappling with how do i completely start over and raise kids and so as we came into this relationship, I mean, I'll talk from my side. I'm not going to speak for mm-hmm. you, Chris. I'll give you time. So I spent a lot of time investing in therapy and investing in counseling and trying to wrestle with my trauma because I found myself grappling with like PTSD from, you know, the news of the infidelities and all of that kind of stuff that had occurred in my previous relationship. But putting myself out there and trying to find a relationship and showing up as my authentic self was really, first of all, it was risky. Second Mm -hmm. of all, it was exhausting. And third of all, it was just like, I never thought I was going to find that right person. And so, I don't know, Chris, when you started to look for a relationship, what did you do to get yourself ready to find the right person?
1: Wow, that's a good question. Um, To get myself ready? Yeah. Yeah. I think I just – for for honest to God, though, I did do a lot of rebounding, you know, like right afterwards. I think a lot lot of us do. Tracy, is that kind of a thing people do as soon as they have a horrible relationship that kind of ends? they immediately try to go into fix-it mode and try to find a replacement, like a Band-Aid, immediately?
0: People do that, and other people completely avoid relationships. It just depends.
1: Mm. Okay. I did a little bit of both. I think I did a little bit of the rebound at first, and then I kind of went into like, eh, I don't know, and then let's try this again.
2: Did you think that the rebound was – the avoidance of a real relationship did you find yourself rebounding to people you'd never really stay with for the long run
1: I think that's my knee trick reaction honestly though when I when I get dumped or uh, a relationship ends or whatever um, I honestly my next re- knee trick reaction is just to kind of like replace it like fill that spot it's like anything in this house that gets broken I have to immediately replace it and I think a relationship for me is almost kind of the same thing where it has to be replaced immediately mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then of course it doesn't work out that way <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, for me, it's kind of where my brain works, you know, it's like so if I'm it's like today I had to go to the store, pick up a few things, you know, because something was missing. Oh, I need to replace it and go to the store, re- replace it. That's kind of how I operate, I guess.
0: So that makes sense. So when
2: you think about that, Tracy, thinking about and I know you don't know Chris and I, our background, as we think of your specialty in the area of attachment, what are some of the questions that you would have for us coming up based off of what you've heard so far?
0: For you guys now or for when you were dating?
2: Um, When we were dating. Like if you had met us in the Mm in-between point, what are questions you would ask to help us get ready for that healthy relationship?
0: Well, one of the things, and and this is for anybody out there, when you are dating, what were you paying attention to? What was your focus? So what I mean by that is a lot of people are focused on the other person. Do they like me? Do they not like me? We don't ask ourselves like, okay, I feel connected to this person and actually feel it, right? Not think it, but feel it. I actually feel connected to this person. Why? Why do I feel connected to them? Well, I enjoy my time with them. Well, I laugh a lot. Well, I, you know, in whatever, like you're thinking of things about what it is that actually wants you, you know, wanting you to draw closer, not from insecurity, not from not wanting to be alone, because a lot of times people when they're dating and they're totally focused on the other person, it's like they're trying to fill, a, you know, a space, an empty space.
2: Okay, so I just I was just t- like waving my hand at Chris like I needed to say this because when you said you were t- just talking right now, it really made me think about my first marriage and how my family prepared me to find the person that I was supposed to be with. My mom told us from a young age, make a list of qualities and find somebody that meets that list. I don't entire
1: list? Like all of them? Well,
2: as much as possible. But I think that in my mind, it became a checklist instead of like, you're talking about how do I feel? Am I connected with this person? It's not that I wasn't, but I think I approached it from a clinical perspective versus like connecting with myself. And I think when, I was with Chris. That was the big difference. It wasn't about specific qualities. It was, does this person help me feel safe? Is it somebody Mm -hmm. that I can laugh with? Somebody that has the same types of priorities? Um, Do you find that often that when people are going out and looking for that person that they want to marry, that they just kind of are looking for, they meet my list, they don't meet my list and kind of like sorting people in and
0: out Versus connecting with them at first? I definitely think so because most people when they have a checklist, unless it's something, you know, like what your mom was talking about, but even to some degree, most people create one from a state of lack. What do I lack? And, and not that you, again, these are unconscious sort of promptings, you know, motivation. It really comes from this place, though, of I need to have a person, you know, let's say who earns a certain amount, who looks a certain way, who owns certain things, right? Those all come from a state of what you feel you lack. And- that is also how you feel other people are going to perceive you if you have somebody who has the things you lack, right? So if if I have a perfect, let's say, arm candy, that somehow someone's going to go, oh, my gosh, you know, Tracy, wow, look at you. You got, you know, the perfect dude and you guys yep. are perfect,
1: yeah, right? I know, I know the feeling, right. you know, Christine tells me all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you turkey. Thank you.
1: Thank <laughs> you.
2: It is true. He is. You know, I call my trophy husband because he's pretty hot.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)
2: It's nothing wrong with a little bit of arm candy, but it's the substance that matters. The looks are just, you know, the cherry on top. Of course.
0: It's (laughs) It's frosting. Of course. I mean, you want to be attracted to the person. It's not that you don't. But I look at people who say, oh, no, I won't go out with somebody because they're 5'8". They're not six foot. Okay. Mm-hmm. I won't go out with somebody because of their job. I won't go out with somebody because of them not having the wealth I want. You mm-hmm. know, there's things that people have insecurities about with themselves and feel that they lack or that let's say they they have all of these great things or you know what people think are great. And This other person doesn't. They feel that that is going to be – that's something they take personally, but they feel like that's something people are going to judge them on. Because a lot of people do their dating from how they feel other people are going to perceive them.
1: Is that why – you notice on some of these dating apps, I think all of them do. They'll have like a um, how much money do you make section on the – Little section of like your bio, I guess. I'll say like um, salary range, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you, and, and also, I think on some of these, um, you can actually pick and choose which salary range you want to date in, too. Like you're only dating people in this range or that range. Um, That's
2: you, bizarre.
1: It's true. It's a thing.
2: That's like a sugar daddy right there. Well,
1: uh, it is. It, it, you find, <laughs> you figure out who the sugar, sugar mom, sugar daddy, or the, the girls that are into that mm-hmm. are, Or the
2: they, guys that are into that.
1: Yeah. well <laughs> Also, <laughs> mm-hmm. too, like, like Tracy's saying, it could be maybe that, say, say you make a million dollars a year, you only want to date a million dollar people, you know? I don't know, you know, because maybe you feel like you have more in common, maybe?
0: I feel like on a certain level, some people do. Like, I know, okay, so when I was dating, I, before I actually decided I wanted a committed relationship, I thought I wanted a committed relationship, okay? So, there was a difference. I think I want a committed relationship, and yet I wasn't ready for one at that point. So it took me a while, took me a few years to get to there, but I had a list and it was a list I actually put on my dating profile at once. And it was because I had gone out with guys where it wasn't a match and I was still super focused on the guy rather than on what am I doing here or how am I connected to this or what do I actually want? Mm -hmm. And so I put this list, it was a horrible list. It's like, I, I can't remember the things that were on it, but it was pretty negative. And then I was wondering, wow, nobody's responding. I was being really clear and direct. Well, no, I really wasn't. And how would anybody respond to that if they saw a checklist? They would think, oh, I don't measure up. Or they'd think, wow, that person's got issues. <laughs> you,
1: you, said, you said you must get a checklist to date me on your profile?
0: No, she put the checklist
1: on her profile. I put it yes, on. So yes. So, so I've seen those too, and, and, and let me tell you, red flag, red flag.
0: But when I see, it says, <laughs> yep, you
1: yep. must, you must uh, be this. You must make this. You must be this. You must be this tall. You must be. Like, who the hell's this chick?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, get out of here right. with that. It's like going to McDonald's. Yeah. It's like
0: order your McGuy.
1: <laughs> <I mean>, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you where I was at at the time. I was really closed down. I didn't think I was. But I was because if you're open and you're emotionally available, you're not going to be doing that. I, I, on an unconscious, again, so much of what we do is unconscious because we repeat the same things day in and day out. You know, we're on autopilot for the most part. And when I was doing this, I can only see it in hindsight. Like, wow, you know what? I remember feeling like I didn't want to be close to anybody. So why didn't I just get off the dating app and not date at all? Well, that wasn't where my head was at. I thought, no, no. I'm open. I'm ready. I'm going to get a guy who's going to, you know, be this person. Um, Yeah. So.
1: Did did, did it work?
0: I was just going to ask, did you get the McHotty off of the dollar menu or? Dollar menu. (laughs) No, no, not at that time. And I didn't leave it up for very long because I thought, okay, Tracy, this sounds, the more I read it, it finally dawned on me. Wow. This doesn't sound too good. What are you doing? Um, Yeah. So like I said, I had a lot of growth for myself that I had to do. Well, it sounds like you've
2: definitely engaged in going through that growth. And, you know, looking at your bio, there's some things that stood out to me that I'd love to learn more about when it talks about helping people to break these unhealthy negative beliefs as it relates to relationships. How do you even start that kind of work? Because it seems like when we have unhealthy negative beliefs about relationships, that it's not like they just all of a sudden blossomed and it's something that you can easy pl- easily pluck up like that seems like it's rooted in lots of years of hurt and damage that you'd have to help somebody surface.
0: We do. I mean, all of it goes back to childhood in terms of you developed your beliefs as a kid based on how you saw the world and your place in it. And you know, some of them were put there just by our families because people tend to bring things generationally, right? Like they don't think about the fact that, oh, my mom did this and I'm doing this, right? That takes a lot of self-awareness to even know that you're doing it. So we pick up all these things and we go forth and we don't realize that as adults, we brought a lot of this into our relationships, into our expectations, into our dysfunctional ways of being. So we do it in a couple of different ways. It really depends on how much self awareness a person has, because most of us also operate on a drama triangle. And oh, I love drama the tr- drama triangle.
1: The drama. I think I bring that to the house every day. No, drama, drama see, tr-
0: no. I'm
2: I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna interrupt, but I am gonna interrupt Tracy because I will tell you that learning about the drama triangle when I was in therapy during my separation from my first husband was mind-blowing, and I use it in talking with people. Is it the victim-offender... Oh, what's the other third point? Well, you tell me what Press the drama... Her.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. Tell tell Chris about the drama triangle. Yeah, what is it again? Okay, so the drama triangle was developed by Dr. Stephen Karpman, and what he did was... He had come up with these relational dynamics that we have that are on an upside down triangle. And so you have a victim, a rescuer, and a persecutor or, yeah, as you said, yes. an offender. Yeah, Same persecutor. Thing. Thank you. And the persecutor's yeah. at
1: the bottom of the triangle?
0: No. Um, it, it You switch positions on the triangle. Victim's at the bottom of the triangle. Okay. So it it doesn't really matter because depending on the relationship, you will move into those different spots. And most of us don't see it in the movies um you know the news media anywhere you look in our society you can see this operation because it's always about okay in a movie who's going to be rescued right well you got to have somebody who's going to rescue the damsel in distress and the rescuer is going to do that and then there's always the villain right the persecutor so we play this in our relationships with people like a lot of us will go into victim mode and victim mode is i'm helpless to get out of this somebody's always doing something to me it's always the other person's fault i don't do anything wrong why is this happening uh you know plays that part and then there's the rescuer who will keep rescuing that victim and probably get sick of it after a while and turn into the persecutor and then you know and and at the same time the victim can also turn into the persecutor oh you don't ever help me you don't do anything for me because the persecutor is the bully right so there's all this switching around on the triangle, and that is not a healthy way to relate to anybody.
1: Sounds like a musical chairs.
0: Or a very <laughs> toxic dance. So
2: it's interesting that you bring this up because I use some of this language when Chris and I are having tense moments. That's what we'll call them. Oh, yeah? Um, and Because I learned the language in therapy when I went through it. So one of the things that I learned about is the only way to interrupt the triangle is to not engage in it. And to step outside of it and to like bring light to what it is. And so, however, because this is new language for Chris, he gets angry (laughs) when I say, I hear you're being, you're putting yourself in the victim mode. I'm not going to step in and try and rescue you. Like, what can I do to help you figure out your way out of this situation? And then sometimes the, sliding into the persecutor role happens just out of frustration. And so when you find couples or individuals that are really ingrained into this drama triangle, how do you help them interrupt that?
0: Well, you know, it goes back to also your question on the negative beliefs. But the thing is, you know, when you step on off the triangle, it's probably not the best idea to tell somebody that they are. (laughs) acting the victim because that puts him in a defensive place, right? It's like, how would you respond? Well, I'd feel defensive. Like, what? What are you talking about? I'm just doing this because it's not up to you to fix your partner. It's not up to you to rescue them. You see, you're not here to teach him. He's not here to teach you in a way that's direct. The way we learn from each other is by watching the other person, by the stories, by the way that somebody is being That's how we learn. But if somebody's directly telling me something, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to, you know, not want to deal unless I'm going, oh, God, okay, I've been through enough therapy. Okay, I'm going to show up. All right, fine. Mm -hmm. But what I, you know, the work that I do, and going back to the beliefs too, it's at a deeper level. Because, first of all, you got to look at if I'm a victim – what the heck made me a victim in this situation, right? What is it that makes me helpless? Well, a lot of us just learn this over and over and over by watching our parents interact or by being in other relationships where it just seemed that that was the position because nobody was really listening to me and, you know, or whatever the excuse is. And so it's that you want to be able to take a deeper dive. You got to find your internal motivation, um, and internal motivation is a big part of why we choose these positions. Which one do I get a bigger benefit from? Because each position on the triangle, there's a benefit to being there. It's not that it's not beneficial or nobody would do it. So you have to look at well, what's the benefit and then what is the thing that's going to be, let's say, an emotionally risky action for me to take. So if my partner, right, you know, like my husband and I, let's say that we're having a disagreement We'll go, okay, you know what? I don't wanna talk about this right now because I'm feeling this is uncomfortable for me. And I'm talking about me. I'm not talking for him. I'm not telling him what he's doing. I'm not being his teacher. Instead, I'm saying, this isn't comfortable for me. I don't wanna be you know, in a place where I'm gonna start getting angry and I'm gonna lose control of myself. I'd rather be able to calmly address the situation, right? right. And then that's what we do and he does the same thing. And we don't fight very often. Um, You know, we're pretty similar in a lot of ways. And one of the, you know, one of the things is if he says something, I'll go, okay, well, this is how I feel about it. And I'm not going, this is how I feel about what you're doing. I say, this is how I feel about it. Like I may say this triggers me or, you know, and I know you're not doing it on purpose because a lot of things that trigger us, the person is not doing on purpose. It's just that's what they're doing. That's been their experience. Right. It's
1: like what I I will say too is I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the situation.
0: And for me,
2: because I've had past negative attachment issues, (laughs) um, I perceive it as being my fault. But one of the other things that you mentioned really stood out to me when you were saying it's not my responsibility to teach Chris. I think that where it can be a little bit challenging for me is because I am a teacher. Like I'm an educator by nature and I feel like sometimes it's my job to not like engage in the situation, but help explain why I feel the way I do. And so we learn so that we're not continuing this, but I can see as I'm listening to myself with this, well, I'm taking on this role of trying to be the teacher that then can come across as like positioning myself as better than him or as being like, I know more or condescending, which then reinforces like a negative pattern of interaction, right?
0: It does. And I think it also, you know, in our society too, we have this whole thing with winners and losers and we bring it to our intimate relationships until we have enough awareness to go, whoa, wait a minute. Nobody is the winner if I am making my partner the loser. Oh, yeah. Because- you know, that's going to create separation emotionally. You know, you're not going to have emotional intimacy because you're going to have a divide between you. So, you know, there's a lot of these, you know, concepts like the superior to the inferior. There are a lot of people in relationships where it's like, yeah, I need to be better than my partner. Well, why do you need to be better than your partner? You're equals. You're supposed to be equals. It's not equal 50-50 all the time, but you're equals in terms of you're both there for a reason and you're basically mirrors for one another.
1: I always say like you're on the same team, you're not yeah. playing against each other.
2: Right. But if we never learned how to play by the same rules or we know the same rules, then we're still thinking we're showing up as the same members of the team. But really, we don't know how Is to play together. So you're sports? Maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just – I'm having some really great aha moments here. So Tracy, as you're engaging in this work, do you typically work one-on-one or do you work with couples how does your business model work?
0: So I have programs where, um, we have a group program that's a year long program. And I also have coaches that I've trained who do one-on-one coaching and they work with, you know, either couples or individually. I do coaching, but very, very, like I don't even offer my coaching services basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have worked with coaches, excuse me, I've worked with couples and I've worked with individuals. And, you know, I find that it's really fascinating in my world to work with both people because when I'm just working with one person and then they're talking about this partner and they're like, okay, can you coach my partner too? It's like, oh my God, you've been talking about an alien being this whole time <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's not the same person. Um so, I think it could be beneficial as long as both people are on the same page. So, um, but yeah, we have different programs, and our big program is Mastery, and that's our group program that's a year long.
2: That's awesome. I think that, you know, as you've been talking, what you're doing sounds different than like a typical therapy session. And I know that as we talk about like mental health and relationships, sometimes people are really resistant to going to like couples counseling. Do you find that individuals and couples are, Uh, more willing to come and engage with you and your coaches because it's not called therapy or
0: counseling? To a degree. um, The work we do is really deep and it's emotional and somatic in nature because your body tends to hold every reaction you ever have. And the way you can tell is, let's say you're driving your car down the street and you slam your brakes on, because there's like a cat or something running in front of you, I guarantee you physically have had a reaction. Your face has probably made a grimace of some sort. Your heart's probably racing out of your chest. Everything's tense in your body. So we tend to hold every event like that in our body. Like it is muscle memory when we have an event that happens, right? So that's where emotions are held. Emotions aren't held in your head. You can't feel anything in your head, but you can feel emotions in your body. And so we tend to um, have people really get into this place of um, awareness, feeling, and then emotionally risky action. And it's getting people in their bodies. And that's very difficult to do. So that's one of the things, you know, with um, having. This program, it's like once you start knowing it, you realize how difficult it is to actually change patterns. And so you might go, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Um, Right. But there are people that watch their partners, you know, that aren't in our programs that watch their partners and they're like, okay, I'm watching you change and grow. And I want some of that. I want to do what you're doing. So it just depends.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking through that. Like when Chris and I have a disagreement, there will be a physical response in some way, the heart racing. You know, I'll start to clench my fists or he will. And it's just like you you become rigid or, you know, your body reacts. And I think that figuring out how to get to the root of whatever that emotion is and help to like change the response of the body, that seems like it would take a lot of time reprogramming.
0: It does and it doesn't. Because once you get into your body, all of the other patterns, because we go to – how to break patterns. And there's so many different ways. And I won't get into all of them because we could be on here till next year, but (laughs) it's, you know, we come at it from different angles because sometimes you hear something one way and then you hear it a different way and you're like, oh my God, that totally clicks. Well, we need it not just to click, but we need people to actually feel things inside of them. And that is where you learn that your body's the safest place to be rather than outside your body trying to control another person.
1: Yeah, you can never control anybody. I, I found that out there. No, <laughs> you, th- you think you can, but but really, you can't.
0: No. No, you can't.
2: So, you know, you're only one person. I know you have coaches that work with you, but how do you spread your knowledge so that other people can take advantage of it from just, you know, coaching individuals? It seems like you might want to, like, amplify your services. Do you have a
0: podcast or anything? I do. I have a podcast. It's called Freedom from Attachment. It's changed its name over the last six years, but it's Freedom from Attachment, and you can find it anywhere. It's on iTunes. It's um, on everything. I mean, literally everything, Spotify. And I also have a book, too. Oh, you do? Tell us about your book. (laughs) <laughs> okay, my book is called Overcoming Insecure Attachment and it's basically covering it covers a lot around the drama triangle, it covers a lot around perfectionism, people pleasing and how this is disruptive to having a healthy ha- excuse me, healthy happy relationship with yourself and with another person. Um, and I really made it a how-to guide, just to put that out there, because a lot of self-help books give you great ideas, but this actually gives you insight into the work that I do and helps people to really be able to break patterns and change their lives.
1: Does it have like a? Um, is it almost like like a guide in a way like like it helps you it helps a person kind of like go through through like a step or like a manual to help them kind of like figure things out as they read it.
0: In a sense, it does. You know, one of the things with emotions, they're like the ocean. They're not linear. So even though the book is linear, you would be able to jump into different parts of the book. Like, God, I'm really feeling like I'm struggling, you know, let's say with people pleasing. So you could go to that chapter. But that's after you read the first three chapters. You always have to read the first three chapters because they're really about building a foundation to be able to make the changes that are required in the other chapters.
1: Oh, Gotcha. I understand. Mm-hmm.
2: So, your book is it designed more for individuals or for couples? Like, if Chris and I wanted to read it, are we going to find benefit even though we're already married?
0: Absolutely. Anybody would find benefit. My husband is reading it. He's like, he always says that. He goes, You know, everybody could find benefit from reading this book. You oh, could. It's not. He's just being very yeah. supportive. Of doing. <laughs> yeah. So, it sounds really.
2: Really interesting. So, uh, overcoming insecure attachment by Tracy Crossley. Is that what? How we'll yep. find it? And then, where yep. can our listeners purchase it from? Do they need to go to a website,
0: or is it on Amazon? It's everywhere. It's on Amazon. I think Target, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. I mean,
1: Look pretty at much you. anywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Barnes & Noble still around? Are they, are they still up? I don't yes, know. Yes, they are. Are they? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah they, they are. Yeah, one at the mall. Oh, I thought they went out of business.
2: No, I think you're thinking of Borders.
1: Yes, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of.
2: Now, do you have any special deals? Can our listeners, like, go somewhere special to get an autographed copy from you? Or do you just want them to go through a big box retailer?
0: You know, they can go through a retailer. If they want a signed copy from me, they can email me and I can, you know, sell them the copy and sign it and send it to them. Ooh. So, Yeah. That sounds fun.
2: I Um, like that. I like that idea. I always like when there's like a special signature inside. It makes me feel like I'm part of like the VIP crew. It does. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so Tracy, we've loved having you on the show. Are there any last words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our listeners, especially as we're coming up through the holiday season and, you know, relationship
0: stress can be amplified? (laughs) I would (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) That's exactly what I said a little bit. Yeah. I would tell people that it's really important to be very aware of the moment. If you can just stay in the moment, like really recognize what's happening in the moment. What is actually happening right now? I'm not five years old and you know my mom is yelling at me. No, that's not what's happening. It's really about being super present. If you can just be present, even for a few seconds it can save you a lot of stress, especially during the holidays with all the family and everything else that comes up at this time.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. Chris, any last words?
1: Uh, Tracy, you've been a dear. And thank you so much for coming down, down here to uh, San Diego to visit us today. We
2: appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much and for being And thanks us a copy
1: of your book right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> make sure you autograph it before you leave.
0: <laughs> thanks so much, I Tracy. I love it. Thank you.
1: Hey there, K2 Crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners.
2: To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media.
1: Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter.
2: And don't forget to follow our
1: Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories, and guess what? You might just end up on the show. ooh ooh. You know, having Tracy on the show, she was so wonderful. Come on down here.
2: Yeah, she was super informative, and I really loved how she was helping us talk through some of the... I wouldn't say struggles, but some of the pain points in our own relationship.
1: Right. You know, bringing everything to the light, like the trouble with the relationships we have had in the past and the divorces and things like that. It does get a little touchy for me sometimes talking about that kind of stuff. I know you do too. And and all that kind of stuff. I don't get touchy. What are you talking about? I don't get touchy. I
2: never get touchy. Uh,
1: Point. Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, super enlightening. And so I think that her services and her book are going to be of a great benefit to so many of our listeners don't you
1: absolutely
2: and so listeners you can find out more about tracy more about us in the show notes you can also find us where on the webs
1: oh on the old interweb at uh, Chris and chrisandchristineshow.com
2: and so check us out check out our website follow us on instagram you can follow us on Twitter, send Chris a little message. He loves to hear from all of our listeners. We both do, but I mean, it's next level when it comes to Chris
1: and our <laughs> well, listeners. Why would you say that, baby?
2: I'm going to call them Chris, Christeners, because they're like listeners huh? of Chris, Christeners. Our listeners see like the cool cast. I'm going to come up with like they're the Chris okay. Christie Show listeners. Maybe I'm going, maybe I'm trying too hard today. I, I think maybe you are, maybe. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for tuning in, and we will be back with you next week we